Well, it's uh, coming up on late May here, and uh, every year, every year this time, I start getting a flashback to 1985, when the church planting team that Shirley and I were a part of were making preparations to make the momentous journey from Lynchburg, Virginia, to a place called Gehanna, Ohio, and uh, we were coming to start a brand new church together. I know you're probably thinking that I must have been about five years old back then because I look so young, but um, I hate to break it to you, I'm an old guy. I went back into the archives this week and I found a, uh, an early picture of a part of our team dating from maybe 1984 or 1985. So you might recognize a few of those people. So young, so naive, so young. Just thinking about it, it's uh, so hairy, is that what you said? <laughs> yeah. Just, uh, you know, thinking back on those memories, it's, it's hard to describe to you the exhilaration that we all felt in our hearts as we, you know, loaded up those moving vans and got ready to take off. Stirring in our hearts was the belief that God is big, that our mission was important, and that while we were young and experienced, God was going to plant a brand new church through us that would glorify Jesus and make disciples of Jesus Christ. And we were on a faith adventure together, and the important thing to us was we were doing it together. Together. You know, ever since Jesus captured my heart at the age of 18, I've always had the privilege of being on teams. Kingdom-minded teams. Some of those teams have been small, others were large. Some lasted only a few months, others lasted for decades, but somehow by the grace of God it got drilled down deep into my heart that this Christianity thing was not ever meant to be a solo effort, but was meant to be done together with like-minded friends. Team sport, something you did together. So for my first days here in Gehanna, I've always been part of teams. Church planting team, a pastoral team, discipleship teams, ministry teams, um, an elder team, staff team, small group team. I've been on mission teams to Chicago and Philadelphia and Dominica and Africa and India. In fact, I'm at the point in my life where I can hardly remember what it was like to not be part of a team of like-minded kindred spirits doing something together in the name of Christ. You say, well, why are you telling us all this? Well, for this reason. The point of the sermon today could be summed up in a single Sentence, and I have it written out for you there on your study outline that you can reach in and pull that out of your worship folder. Here it is. I really believe this. Few things in life are more fruitful, fulfilling, and fun than teaming up with like-minded friends and doing a gospel mission together. Few things in life are more fruitful, fulfilling, and fun than teaming up with some like-minded friends and going on a gospel mission together. Serving Christ together. You know, you and I were meant to follow and serve Jesus together, not separately. Did you know that? We've been called to team up. Even just a cursory glance at the New Testament reveals that this is God's plan and how true, true this is for us. Think about when Jesus came to earth. Did he go about his mission all by himself? Did he? Or did he call together a team, a, a group of men to join him in that mission? Those disciples. And of course, they would later band together as a team of apostles, praying together, preaching the gospel, and forming a new church together as a team there in 
Jerusalem. And then when it was time to move out from Jerusalem into the surrounding regions, how did they do it? They went in teams, missionary teams, to do God's work. And as you know, one of the leaders of those teams was named Paul. And a careful reading of the book of Acts reveals that Paul nearly always had some teammates around him, like-minded friends who shared his passion for Jesus and who were teamed up with him on a mission for God. And so today, as, as we near the end of our study of the New Testament book of Colossians, Paul's letter to the Colossians, just before he signs off, just before he says, see ya, goodbye, he takes a few lines to talk about the men with whom he was linked up arm in arm as teammates in the gospel. If you have a Bible, turn to Colossians chapter 4 and, and listen as I read beginning in verse Seven And listen for the names, listen for the names of men, of individuals that Paul considered his, his friends, kindred spirits in the gospel. Verse 7 begins like this, Tychicus, that's a name, maybe for your next son, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, second name, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They, Tychicus and Onesimus together, will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you've received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, so not Jesus of Nazareth, but another guy named Jesus. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Verse 12, Epaphras, another man, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis, two neighboring cities. And then verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Catch all those names? Basically what Paul's doing is he's introducing us to his team, Team Paul, if you will. And we're going to take a couple minutes on each of these guys and just learn what we can about them. Paul's team, kind of like his lineup, his roster of guys that he served with. And remember that Paul was writing this letter from prison in Rome. This was the first of two imprisonments that he would endure. And the second one would ultimately lead to his death. But here during this first imprisonment, he's got some guys around. He's got some teammates around him. And as you read this, you just can't help but feel Paul's love and his respect for these men. So let's let's meet him. Leading off, playing shortstop. On Team Paul, Tychicus, I call him the loyal and trustworthy teammate. Tychicus, say that name, would you? Tychicus, the loyal and trustworthy teammate. And I'll tell you what, if you're on a team, or especially if you lead a team of some sorts, it's a wonderful blessing to have people on the team who've proven themselves to be loyal and faithful and trustworthy. It's more rare than you think, but that's what this guy, Tychicus, was for Paul. Now, we don't know a whole lot about him. He's mentioned only five times in all the New Testament. Every time it's very brief. What we do know is that he was a very faithful guy who was loyal to Paul and stuck with him through thick and thin. you have any friends like that? 
who will just stay with you even when it gets hard. That's what this man was for Paul. You know, it wasn't easy to be a friend of Paul because wherever Paul went, he stirred things up. And if you were one of his friends, you could get right in the line of fire with him. That happened a lot. But even so, Tychicus hung in there with him, and as a result, Paul trusted him because of his loyalty and his faithfulness. And Paul gave him some important assignments that you would only give to someone that you really trusted. For example, in Acts 20, verse 4, we find that Paul asked Tychicus to accompany him on a journey. Now, Paul knew that the believers in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers there, were in the midst of an economic downturn. We know what that's like, right? In those days, they called it a famine, and they were suffering. So Paul was over in Asia Minor, and he decided to take up an offering from the churches there in the Asia Minor area, mostly Gentile Christians, and to deliver it to the believers back in Jerusalem. And he decided that not only would it be good to bring money, but it would be great to bring some real live flesh and blood Gentile people too, believers in Christ. So he invited Tychicus to join him on that journey, which was would have been a very difficult and arduous journey. Think about that. This young man was being asked to leave his home, his job, his friends, his church family, to go on a dangerous journey. But despite that risk, Tychicus apparently did this. He did it gladly. And now years later, as Paul writes Colossians, Tychicus is still with Paul. That's a loyal friend who will stick with you even when it's hard. Later, Paul would give Tychicus, I'm having a hard time saying, Tychicus, Tychicus. I should, let's just call him T, okay? Later on, Paul would trust T with two very important and interesting assignments, both of them as an interim pastor. In the book of Titus, we find this man's name again in Titus chapter 3, and we're told that he was on the short list of candidates that Paul had in mind to send to replace Titus for a season, pastoring Titus' church. Paul wanted a visit from Titus, he was calling him away from his congregation for a season. He said, hmm, maybe I could send Tychicus to fill in for Titus. He's someone that I trust. We see his name again in 2 Timothy for another kind of an interim pastor assignment, this time in Ephesus, so that Pastor Timothy could come and visit with Paul. So twice, Paul asked Tychicus to be willing to go and fill in for some godly pastors and shepherd their congregations in their absence while they were gone. Now, you only do that if you're very confident that a guy is trustworthy, that he's going to represent you well. Because, you know, if you've sent one for someone for an assignment like that and they mess up, it comes back on you, right? So it tells us that Paul trusted this guy immensely. Would you ever see this fellow arguing with Paul or questioning any of these assignments? He just carried them out faithfully, loyally, loyally and capably. And one more example of Paul's trust. Tychicus actually carried this letter to the Colossians back to that church. This letter that would become part of Holy Scripture. In fact, if you've been touched or blessed at all in this series on Colossians, you have Tychicus to thank. Because he delivered the mail. He got it done. There was no postal service back then. (laughs) He was the messenger that delivered the letter to the Colossians to that church. And not only that, it's possible he had two other letters tucked in his robe when he was making that journey, the letter to the Ephesians and the letter to Philemon. So Paul entrusted this guy with some incredible assignments and relied upon him to carry them out. And he knew that he would because he was a faithful Loyal guy. You know what? Teammates like Tychicus are gold. Pure gold. Thank God for this man. No wonder Paul called him a beloved brother, faithful minister, and a fellow servant. 
All right. Batting second. Playing left field, maybe. Onesimus. So first is Tychicus, and now, say it, Onesimus. We'll call him the teammate with a sinful past. Onesimus, verse 9, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. You say, who in the world was Onesimus? Well, Onesimus was a runaway slave. His master was named Philemon. Philemon was a member of the church in Colossae. And Philemon was probably quite a wealthy man because it tells us in the scriptures that the church of Colossae met in his home. So he had a home large enough to accommodate a church. He also had a number of household servants, one of whom was this man, Onesimus. And the story goes like this. One day Onesimus decided that he was tired of serving in Philemon's household. And he decided he was going to pack up and take off. And that's what he did. He probably absconded with some of his master's valuables tucked away in his robes as well. But he left his master and took off for the big city for Rome to have a great time there. And what do you know, when he got to Rome, there's two million people living in Rome at the time. And who did Onesimus run into? Paul. (laughs) You know, God just has a way of orchestrating these supposed um, coincidences working behind the scenes to make sure people meet and intersect because God has purposes beyond what we can see. And so here's Onesimus hightailing it out of his master's house, heading for Rome. He runs into Paul. Paul leads him to Jesus Christ. And he becomes converted to Christianity. He stays with Paul for a while. And Paul mentors him and disciples him in the faith. And he becomes part of Team team Paul for a while. And then one day, Paul goes up to Onesimus and says, you know what? I need to send you back to your master. You're a born-again guy now. You're a Christian now. You left your master. You took some of his goods, his belongings with you. That's wrong. You need to go back and make that right. And so Onesimus, along with Tychicus, are the envoy that's taking these letters back to Colossae, including the letter to Philemon. Man, I wish I had been there that day when Tychicus and Onesimus show up at Philemon's house And Philemon opens the door, and he sees his runaway slave, Onesimus. There you are! I've been wondering where you went. What's with that? And they describe the story that Onesimus met Paul, and Paul led me to Jesus, and I'm a Christian now, and what's in my heart now is to come back and to serve you and to restore what I stole from you. And maybe Philemon stood there with his mouth open, and maybe he said, you know what? Paul led me to Christ too, and he led you to Christ? This is amazing. God did that. Only God can do stuff like that. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. He left a slave and he came back a brother in Christ. And I can see Philemon opening up that letter from Paul, which basically said, look, take him back. Sure, you have a right to have him executed. He was a runaway slave, for crying out loud. There were legal means by which you could gain your freedom, but skipping town wasn't one of them. But Paul appeals to Philemon and says, take this guy back. He's a brother now. He's a Christian. He wants to serve you. He wants to restore what he took. Love him. Receive him. Take him back. That's Onesimus. I'm so glad God can use people with a speckled past, aren't you? Anybody here with a past? I mean, you know, come on, we all all have a past. We've all got junk in our lives, in our history that we're ashamed of. I'm so glad 
that God can take someone with a speckled past, save them, rescue them from their sin, turn them around. And a lot of times there's some restoration that needs to be done, right? With people that we wronged prior to that. Thank God for that. That was Onesimus' story. Jesus turned him around and used him for kingdom good. Tychicus, Onesimus, a third teammate, Aristarchus. Did you say that? Aristarchus. Verse 10, my fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, greets you. We could call him the burden-sharing teammate or the burden-bearing teammate. You know one thing you need if you're on a mission with a team for Jesus Christ? You know one thing you need? You need someone who's on your team who's just there for you and who will help to bear and share your burdens. What a blessing that is to have somebody like Aristarchus. Maybe they're not superstars. Maybe they're not up front, on stage people. Maybe they cringe when asked to do anything publicly. But they're there. They're devoted. They love you. They're good listeners. And they're willing to get under that load and and burden and share it with you. That's what this kind of guy, that's what this guy was for Paul. So who is he? Do we know anything else about him? Well, we find him mentioned only a few times. One of those is in Acts chapter 19 and 20. He was with Paul when Paul was ministering in the city of Ephesus. And as I said, wherever Paul went, he stirred things up and things would start popping. And so this big riot breaks out, this big mob scene, and it says that Aristarchus got his first taste of prison life there in Ephesus. Now, he wasn't doing anything wrong. He was just with Paul. But Paul was stirring things up. Paul was a troublemaker. So there's a big riot going on. The authorities come in, and they just yank Aristarchus away and throw him into prison. Maybe he's sitting there going, what did I do? All I did is hang with you, Paul. (laughs) And look where it got me. But, But... But the scriptures tell us that he was not upset about that. He loved Paul. And he basically embraced and adopted the lifestyle of a prisoner just so he could be with Paul wherever Paul was. Amazing man. Eventually they escaped Ephesus. And then Paul decided to head down to Jerusalem where he stirred things up again and ended up getting captured and put in prison. And then he was moved around as happens with prisoners sometimes. Eventually Paul appealed his case to Caesar to Rome. He said, I want a hearing with the big guy up at the top of the pyramid, Caesar himself. And so he appealed his case. He was put on a boat, sent to Rome, and in Acts 27.2, Aristarchus is mentioned and says that he was with Paul on the boat. So could it be that this fellow was with Paul that whole time from his imprisonment in Ephesus all the way to his imprisonment in Jerusalem and now on the boat with him to Rome still as a prisoner? Yet we don't ever see him convicted of a crime himself. Paul's imprisonment was apparently more like a house arrest kind of a thing, so he could have visitors, he could have people around. And one guy who was with him through all of it apparently was Aristarchus. So think about it. This man chose to give up his freedom. He chose to be associated with Paul. He chose the lifestyle of a common criminal, not because he had to, but because he wanted to. Because he loved Paul. And he wanted to be with him no matter what he was going through. He wanted to share his burdens. Thank God for teammates like that. Thank God for teammates like that. They volunteer for the hard stuff. Their loyalty costs them, but they are precious, precious people. And especially they are godsend for team leaders. So that's Aristarchus, the teammate who shared Paul's burdens. 
Then a fourth guy is mentioned, and this one you've heard of, Mark. Don't you love that? Tychicus, Onesimus, Aristarchus, and Mark. (laughs) Thank you. Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, it says, I call him the faltering teammate who got restored. Mark. John Mark. Mark's story reminds us that while teaming up with people can be fun and fruitful and fulfilling, like I said, it can also get kind of messy. You experience this in your situations with teams, teammates, messiness? It can happen sometimes. It says here that Mark was the cousin of Barnabas. Now, who was Barnabas? Well, he was another of Paul's teammates, a, a man that he was very close to. Basically, Barnabas was Paul's sponsor when he first got saved. Remember, Paul got saved. His name was Saul. He was like a terrorist, throwing people, in, throwing Christians in jail. He gets saved, and he wants to become part of the church in Jerusalem. And the people in that church are very suspicious of him. They're like, no way. We're not letting you, you know, infiltrate us. We know what you've got in mind. But Barnabas came along and basically said, look, he's the real deal. He's genuinely converted. We've got to accept him as a brother. And Barnabas shepherded him into that church. And so Paul and Barnabas became very close friends through that kind of relationship to the point where they went on some missionary journeys together later. But the Bible records that Paul and Barnabas had a falling out. Did you know that? They had a a dispute, a conflict. Over what? Over this guy, Mark. Over John Mark. Remember how all that went down? The book of Acts tells us the story. Paul and Barnabas were headed out on a mission, and they took this guy, Mark, along with them as a helper. And you know that Paul was always discipling young men, and one of the ways he did that is he would take them along with him on his journeys. But, after, uh, but Acts 13 tells us that after a while, things began to get hard, and Mark said, I'm out of here. This is hard. This is what I signed up for. And he took the next ship back home to Mama. And just so you know, that type of thing doesn't set well with type A leaders. They frown on that. From that moment on, Paul labeled Mark quitter. And he had no use for him. And so later on, when another missionary journey was being planned and Barnabas wanted to give his cousin Mark a second chance, hey, let's bring Mark along, what do you think Paul said? No way. Quitter, that's what that guy is. We don't need that. I'm not going to subject myself again to being abandoned and bailed on right when things are getting hard. No way. You know, some leaders are like that. One strike and you're out with them. It says that the dispute between Paul and Barnabas was so sharp with Barnabas insisting that they take Mark and Paul saying, absolutely not, that they ended up parting ways. They split up. Barnabas took his cousin Mark and they went off on one journey. Paul found a new guy, Silas, and they went off on another journey. And so one team became two teams. But somewhere along the line, something apparently changed in Paul's attitude towards this young man, towards Mark. We aren't told exactly what happened. Maybe Maybe Mark did well on that journey with Barnabas. Maybe he hung in there and the word got back to Paul. Hey, he redeemed himself. Some scholars believe that Simon Peter crossed paths with Mark somewhere along the line, another one of those divine intersections. Peter, 
The fisherman Peter, the preacher Peter, that guy? Well, Peter certainly knew something about failure, didn't he? Peter knew what it was like to blow it big time, to let your friend down and feel ashamed for it. Maybe Peter came alongside Mark and said, Hey, buddy, I know where you're at. I know the, I know the route. Let me come alongside you. You don't have to stay down there in the pit. Let me help you out. Well, we don't know exactly what all the influences were that God used in Mark's life, but we know that he got turned around and that changed Paul's view towards him. He became someone that Paul valued and that Paul loved. So now Paul and Mark were together again. I'll bet they had some interesting conversations around the campfire at night, don't you think? Paul looks at Mark and says, Dude, you bailed on me. What was that all about? Mark kind of hangs and says, like, I know, I know, I was just so cocky back then. I just, I didn't know what it was going to take. I'm so sorry, and I'm so glad that God is the God of the second chance. And I can see Paul nodding and saying, yeah, me too, me too. Let's do this together. Aren't you thankful that God is the God of the second chance, third chance, fourth chance? Some of you are on your tenth chance, fifteenth chance. Oh, the mercy of God. And so often, all a person needs who's been a washout, who's bailed, who got labeled as a quitter, all he needs is for someone to believe in them. To give them that chance. And God, through that person, pours His grace into their life, His mercy into their life. Let's not write people off so soon, you know? Let's not write people off so soon. Some spiritual leaders have the bad habit of labeling people and putting them in a box that they can't ever seem to get out of. You know what I'm talking about? Do you? Mark's story reminds us that God is bigger than our labels. He's bigger than our boxes. And He loves to bring glory to His own name by blowing those boxes up and restoring people to incredible usefulness in His kingdom work. Think about it. Mark, the guy who bailed, the quitter, ended up being given the immense privilege of being in a select group of only four people who got to write a gospel account of the life of Jesus and have it included in the Bible. The gospel according to Mark. What a God we serve. God of the second and the 700th chance. Thank God for that. So Tychicus, Onesimus, Aristarchus, Mark, wonderful, beloved teammates of Paul, faithful men, loyal men. We don't know much about the next guy he mentions, Jesus Justice. All we know is what's written here. His birth name was given to him was Jesus. How would you like to be named Jesus? Talk about a lot to live up to. So he was given this nickname or surname Justice just to distinguish him. You know, I'm not Jesus of Nazareth, okay? I'm Jesus Justice. We also know that he was a, a Jewish guy who was converted to Christianity. He became a Christian and that he was still with Paul. And that tells us that this is a man with a rock-solid commitment to Christ. He had to have a rock-solid commitment because it cost a lot to be a Jewish follower of Jesus in that day, as it still does. And to be a friend of Paul could get you killed. (laughs) So Paul says there's only three men left with a Jewish background who'd persevered through all of this and still stuck with me, and this guy was one of them. It says he was a comfort to Paul. It's like Paul says, thanks for hanging in there with me, friend. We know a lot more about the sixth teammate mentioned here. His name is Epaphras. Would you say that with me? Epaphras. 
Epaphras, verse 12. I call him the praying teammate, the praying teammate with a pastor's heart. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you. Epaphras. So we learned, we've heard this name before, haven't we? We learned about him earlier in Colossians. He was actually the, the founding pastor of that church, the church in Colossae which should make you ask, well, what's he doing in Rome with Paul if he's supposed to be pastoring this church? (laughs) Well, he left his church for a season to come to Paul and to explain to him all that was going on in the Colossian church and especially how the Gnostic teachers had come in and were stirring things up. And Paul wrote the letter to the Colossians in response to what Epaphras had told him. So here he writes, hey, your pastor sends his greetings back to you. And he'll be back. He misses you. How is Epaphras described? I love this description. He's described as a praying man, isn't he? He struggles for you in prayer. I imagine that as Epaphras was there with Paul and they were hanging out together, they would spend time talking shop. They would talk church. They would talk about the church in Colossae. They would talk about individuals there and they would pray together. And as Paul watched Epaphras on his knees praying for his people, He says he is struggling on your behalf in his prayers. You know what the original word is? Agonizomai. You hear it? Paul says, I'm watching this guy. and He is agonizing over you in his prayers. He's praying intense, fervent prayers that you'll you'll stand firm in all the will of God and that you'll be mature, that you'll grow up in your faith and teleos, complete, mature. This was a praying man with a pastor's heart. You know, I read this, i got to tell you, when I read this description of Epaphras, I feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit that this is not in my own heart as much as it should be, as much as he wants it to be. And I've repented of that and, and continue to. And I'm asking God to give me a deeper burden as a pastor to pray for you more often, more fervently, on a deeper level that you would be mature in Christ and that you would stand firm in all the will of God. This guy's a role model for pastors. What a great man, the praying teammate with a pastor's heart. Well, two more teammates. Luke. Luke. That's a name familiar to us. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, he writes in verse 14. Here's the the teammate with a special talent or a special function, Luke. What was Luke's vocation? He was a doctor, wasn't he? A physician? And at this stage of his life, he'd become Paul's personal doctor. Talk about a great guy to have on your team. Your own doctor, traveling with you. You know, when Paul was on his first missionary journey, he was sick all the time. So when he was getting ready to go on his second, he's thinking, I need to bring a doctor with me. Keep me healthy so I can keep ministering here. And so he did. He brought Dr. Luke. And Dr. Luke is still with him, even here in Rome, encouraging him, attending to his physical condition. Praise God for doctors. (laughs) Seriously, we, we ought to thank God that there are talented, gifted people in the medical profession. And hospitals. Thank God for doctors. And praise God for specialists who surrender their talents to God for His kingdom use. I got to thinking about this. God's work needs specialists. 
You know, as we develop these um, gospel partnerships more and more in Africa, in Makono Village, and then down in Los Anonos in Costa Rica, we're going to need more and more specialists getting in the game with those groups. We're going to need doctors and nurses and teachers and business people and entrepreneurs and IT people, techie type people. To, to go to these places and help develop those areas in these villages, in these communities. Because you've given your gifts back to Jesus Christ. You know, we don't need everybody to be a pastor. We don't need everybody to go into vocational, full-time Christian ministry. Being on mission for the gospel means looking at the talents and gifts that you've been given and that you've developed and honed and giving those back to Christ and saying, how would you want to use these for your work. Have you ever done that, by the way? How many of you have some gifts and talents? Oh, you modest people. It's more than 20 of you. All of you do. All of you do. Have you ever taken that which you have been given from God and, and, and put it back, laid it at Jesus' feet and said, use, use this, use this. What a beautiful thing. That's what Luke did. His mission at this point in his life was to serve Paul and keep him as healthy as possible. And so I imagine he had become a student of Paul's body. He knew every ache. He knew every pain. You know, Paul had been shipwrecked many times. He'd been bitten by snakes. Luke knew every snake bite on Paul's body. And through that kind of doctor-patient relationship, their hearts had been knit together. They both were lovers of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul calls him beloved. He loved this guy. He loved Luke. And of course, doctors have a keen intellect and a penchant for precision. Because of that, Dr. Luke would also be given the immense privilege of writing two books of the New Testament. What are they? The Gospel of Luke and Acts. He wrote both of those, without which we wouldn't know hardly anything about the early church. So thank God for Luke. What a teammate to have on board. And then the final teammate in the team picture, Demas, it says. Remember when I said that serving Christ on a, on a team can be fun and fruitful and fulfilling? And then I said, but sometimes it can get messy. I want you to know that sometimes it can just be downright disheartening. When we come to Demas, that's kind of what we feel. Demas is the teammate who would defect. Luke greets you, Paul wrote, as does Demas. Elsewhere, Paul would call Demas his fellow worker. That sounds good. Hey, my man Demas. Yeah, we work together. We hang out together. He works right alongside me. Scholars think that Demas was around Paul for about two years. But the truth is that Demas did not finish well. Listen to what Paul would write about him as he neared the end of his life. In 2 Timothy 4.9, writing to Timothy, he said, Do your best to come to me soon, Timothy. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Demas deserted me. Ouch. That hurts. You ever been abandoned? You ever had someone you thought was your friend? you thought was loyal, turn on you, walk away. You ever had that happen? Ouch. Happened to Paul. At some point, Demas abandoned Paul and says he did it because he fell in love with the world. Not the world of people, 
We're called to love the world of people. He fell in love with the world system that's so alluring, that bombards us with the message every day that it's all about us, that we deserve a better life, promotes the idolatry of self-worship. That world is the world that Demas got drawn away by. And so he defected. He left Paul. And as far as we know, he left the faith that he once claimed for himself. And nothing good is ever said about Demas in the Scripture again. It can happen, can it? Abandonment, defection. And for somebody who leads a team, when that happens, this can, this can nearly take you out. This can be devastating. I'm not talking about leaving one small group to go attend another group or leaving one church to go attend another church. That's not the issue here. This is much deeper than that. This is a wholesale abandonment of Christian community to go hog wild into the world in an attempt to find your hope and joy in the tantalizing pleasures that the world offers. That's what this is. This is turning your back on the Jesus that you once said you loved. and Leaving the community of God's people to go seek community somewhere else. That's what Demas did. And when that happens, it's so sad. Very disheartening. And as I read this, I think that when Paul, you know, Paul just names him real quick without any details. Makes me wonder if Paul already saw some of the telltale signs as he was writing this. In meetings, you know, that the prayers were growing shallower and Demas absences were growing more frequent. Where's Demas? I haven't seen him much lately. Maybe the little sarcastic comments, the pulling away, the little barbs on Facebook. Yes, ministering as a team has its exhilarating highs. But we need to be honest and admit it also has some crushing lows. People don't always stay loyal. Some may turn on you. It happened to Jesus, right? Others might just walk away. Just walk away with no explanation whatsoever, leaving you standing there saying, what happened? You know, I've come to understand what I'm sure Paul understood It's just part of the journey. And the grace of God will get you through. The grace of God will get you through. And so Paul just kind of trails off here with his mention of Demas. And I just think that he knew what was coming. Well, that's Paul's team at this stage of his life and ministry. Team Paul. Tychicus, the loyal and trustworthy teammate. Onesimus, the teammate with a sinful past. Aristarchus, the burden-sharing teammate. Mark, the faltering teammate who got restored. Thank God. Jesus Justice, the teammate with rock-solid commitment. Epaphras, the praying teammate with a pastor's heart. Luke, the teammate with a special gift, a special function. And Demas, the teammate who would defect. Quite a group, wouldn't you agree? That's the Pauline Evangelistic Association. Headquarters, jail, Rome. Quite a bunch. Well, in a couple of weeks, Brett is going to finish out, or your uh, director of student ministries, Brett Starr, is going to finish out this letter to the Colossians. And so uh, that's going to be on graduation weekend. So we're going to land this plane then. But as I finish today, I want to draw your attention to just a couple of application points for us here at New Life Church. Closed circuit for New Lifers, and then we're going to celebrate the Lord's table together. Number one, 
I just want to reiterate it. Few things in life are more fruitful, fulfilling, and fun than teaming up with some like-minded friends and doing a gospel mission together. It occurs to me, some of you, I don't know that you think this way, but you have friends. You have, you have friends, people you hang out with, but it hasn't yet occurred to you that maybe you could gather those friends together and do something for God together. Wouldn't that be cool? And see God use you. Then you become kindred spirits. Second, please don't go through your whole life without ever having been part of a team of like-minded friends who go on a gospel mission together. It's too good to miss. You don't want to get into your 70s and 80s and from that vantage point look back and say, yeah, it never really happened. I never really got linked up shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm with some other friends and, 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 and did something together for God. It never happened. Don't, don't experience that. You'll regret it. Third, God is opening up some awesome opportunities to team up right here through New Life Church to serve Jesus. I, I got to thinking about some of these. I ended up putting them on the back of your study outline, just kind of a laundry list of things that are happening, doors that God is opening here. And I want to just walk through them briefly. You say, well, what kind of, you know, what kind of things? What, what could I team up with somebody and how could I be a part of that? Well, think about neighborhood Bible clubs. Something God has is, is been impressing upon us for a while. And what we want to do this summer is take VBS to the neighborhoods and recreate that environment there in people's backyards and, and driveways and if it's raining in their basements or whatever, you know, and, and bring the gospel to the children in the neighborhoods that we live in. Isn't that cool? And it's going to take new life people teaming up together. In fact, there's a little yellow insert in your worship folder that describes the different people who are needed to team up. We need hosts. That's primarily what we need right now. People who say, you can use my backyard. You can use my driveway. I'll, I'll open up my uh, home for a week for a neighborhood Bible club. We need teachers, prayer partners, people who would just pray that whole week for the children by name, game leaders, song leaders. It lists the weeks there that we're going to be doing this. What a great opportunity to team up with some friends and go on a mission together for God through a neighborhood Bible club. Or maybe it's your small group. Instead of taking the summer off, teaming up this summer to reach some of your friends and loved ones for Christ. Maybe it's planning some fun activities together, a picnic at the park, a pizza blast, a Frisbee golf tournament, going down to Ohio Theater and catching a classic old movie together, but also inviting friends to come and do that with you and praying that God will open up some redemptive relationships through that. You can always join up with our children's or student ministries to touch the lives of the next generation. There's always roles and opportunities in those ministry areas. Summer Lunch Club, the, the churches in Gehanna team up together as churches to provide meals during the summer for underprivileged and needy children who live right here in our community. Our week this year is June 18th. We've said we'll take that week. So we need people who will offer themselves to prepare meals to assemble all them, put them all together, pack them up, and to be there during lunchtime that week to serve those meals. Children will come, needy families will come, and you'll be a blessing to them, teaming up to do that. IFI, International Friendships, what a great ministry this is. You know the world is coming to Columbus to get educated, coming to the Ohio State University and other 
schools of note to get educated here from a hundred different countries around the world. They're coming here and this is a wonderful ministry that gives people the chance to just show hospitality, pick a student up, an international student up at the airport, take him out to eat or take him to their residence where they're going to be staying or become a conversation partner with them, develop a relationship, teaming up to love people in the name of Jesus, international students. We're hosting a big garage sale on August 11th to help them out. You can be a part of that. How can I team up, Steve? Well, go on a short-term missions trip to Costa Rica. we got two going this summer to Costa Rica. One's leaving in just a couple of weeks. Or to Africa, to Makono. Team up with like-minded lovers of Jesus. We're also going to be taking the gospel pamphlet across the creek this summer to the Old Gehanna behind the Wendy's and across Scranville Street there. So if you can team up with someone and walk through a neighborhood and pray for the families who live in those homes and hang a door hanger that has the gospel pamphlet in it, that's teaming up for the sake of the gospel in the name of Christ. Maybe teaming up with your family or your small group to feed the poor in Columbus through our ministry partners down at Stowe Center or Lower Lights Ministry. How about this one? Teaming up to fight human trafficking, not in Bangkok, but here in Columbus. Did you know this is going on here in our city? By ministering to women coming out of substance abuse and prostitution. We should not be doing nothing about this as followers of Jesus. And a door is, looks like it's opening. God, It seems to be that God's opening a door for people in our church to go into some of these clubs where some of these girls are, some of them don't want to be there. Did you know that? Some of them are there because they're forced to be there. They have to be there. It seems like God might be opening up a door for some of you to, to minister to them. to go. Now, women, okay? You men are not going into those dressing rooms or undressing rooms, whatever they are. But if you're a gal, mature in Christ, loving Jesus with a heart for girls who are being abused in this way. Can you imagine walking in with a casserole with these girls and just starting to develop relationships with them, love them, care for them, see how God might want to use that? Wouldn't it be great to be known as a church that's helping young women get freed up from forced sex slave trade? Wouldn't that be good? God, use us. Johnny and Friends, what a great ministry to families with disabilities. Has an active summer schedule. You can link up and be a part of it. There's all kinds of opportunities to team up with like-minded brothers and sisters and go on mission together for Jesus. Now, I gave this to you and I put check boxes on there so that you could maybe put a check mark in one or two of those boxes. Not that you're signing up for it, but that you're interested and you'd like to know more information. You can just put your name and email address on there. And I'll have someone contact you and let you know what's what's involved, you know, what's going on. If you do that in a few moments when we observe the Lord's table, you can just take this with you, maybe fold it in half, and there are baskets on those tables. You can just drop it in the basket. I'll have someone contact you. Transform people, teaming up, touching people's lives together. It's a beautiful thing. We pray for us. Lord, I thank you. Almighty God, that you are a team. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Teaming together in the work of creation and redemption and restoration. 
Lord, may your mindset, may your heart be transmitted to your people. Lord, I pray that some new teams would be formed out of this weekend and that some groups of friends that have just been hanging out together and having a good time would begin to see that you want to use them in a redemptive way to do kingdom work together. And I pray that you would spur that and stir that up. Lord Jesus, as we prepare to come to your table, I pray that even as we think about your body crushed, bruised for us and your blood shed for our sins, that we could come perhaps today as teammates with our family members or small group members maybe and be thankful together for what you've done. We are grateful for making all of this possible by saving us through your shed blood. We thank you. It's in your name I pray.